You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruvain Yoshua Popko of Beth Israel, Beth Allen, Cote St. Luke, suburb of Montreal. Not an exurb, right? A suburb. I've I've been hearing about this. You know, I want to tell you something. The distance between my house and downtown is twelve minutes. So it's <laughs> so so if you use the word suburb, it really sounds further away than it is. Yes. It's a suburb legally, but it's not psychologically, emotionally, well or, or geographically. Okay. Well, let me put it this way. I'm familiar with Montreal. Um the uh Hampstead and Cote St. Luke when you cross that street to whatever it is, the Vimy, and you make that left right. turn, when you make that left turn, you're in a different world. It's not Outremont. Yes. Oh, Outre- oh, in Outremont, you're you're looking for a peanut bag and you're looking for some kishka someplace, right. and you've and you, you're you're hunched over. You go into where you live. It definitely has a suburban. No, it mood. feels very different. But <laughs> in terms, of I get in my car and I want to go downtown. You know, to the Apple Store. It's you know, 14 minutes from my door. You know what I mean? It's not geographically. It doesn't. In other words, it's not like Oak Park to Detroit. It's not like Skokie to Chicago. It's not like you know. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's not. It's not a suburb in that. Squir- well, Squirrel Hill is pretty close to Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> Squir- yeah, but Keysport. Keysport is 50 miles away. Yes, yes. So it's not that. Yes, I understand. Well, anyway, the point is, is that you are a suburban rabbi, and you're a rabbi who's. Oh, who's- I'm not a suburban rabbi. <laughs> I'm an urban. I'm a gritty urban rabbi. A, a girly, a gritty urban Frenchy rabbi. Right. I'm a gritty. I'm. I'm. I'm part of the mean streets. Yes. Of the. Uh, I was raised on the streets. Yes. That's yes. where I grew up. Yes, you were kicked around quite a bit. On the meat streets of Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh. Yes, yes. We know the rough and tumble world. What does Joe Biden say? My hard scrabble past. Yes. My hard, my, my hard scrabble past of Scranton. Um, a, yeah. a poor guy. So I yeah. want to say that. Yeah. Yes, yes. I think it's finally catching up with him. People are finally able. Yeah. I, I think they're finally realizing that uh, that uh, he isn't exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, no, yeah, no. yeah. Uh, you know, Rabbi Popko, uh, this, in some ways, these uh, partios that we find ourselves in are a rabbi's delight. Unlike other places in the in, in the in the Chumash, I say that for for my yeah, I don't know who you're Yeah, yeah. Other other places in the Chumash, the um, the the rabbi has to tease out some sort of message, maybe from some sort of obscure place. Here, you know, the drama, especially, you know, is the last couple of weeks, here we are in Parshas Vayigash, whoever is listening to this is still obviously aware that these Parshas of the Torah are unique. Uh, they are the most detailed. They are most story-like. There's the most drama. The, the dramatis personae are, 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 are extremely uh, influential. Can there be any more dramatic speech than Yehuda's uh, oh. to Yosef? The, there's almost like stage direction. And, and and the truth is, no, it's a remark. I mean, you could think of the story as, as a series of encounters, right? In other words, Yosef with his brothers, Yehuda, the, the brothers with Yosef, right? When they're in Egypt, Yo, Yehuda with with Yosef in the confrontation. Then the ultimate, you know, uh, encounter is Yo, is Yosef re, reunited with Yaakov, you know, and and then to me, which is the most overlooked encounter in the entire narrative. In some way, resonates m- m- most profoundly is the, is the, is the encounter between Yaakov and Paro. Although it's brief and fleeting, it seems to be a harbinger of 
many encounters like that, you know, throughout history between the Gentile authority and the Jewish age, which obviously has many, you know. Uh, what always struck me is Yaakov's brutal honesty about himself. Normally, like you say, here, I want to present the patriarch of our family. And we don't, we don't get the sort of diplomatic <laughs> niceties that you expect, like, you know, between heads of state or, right? You have Yaakov really basically... Listen, you, you, have, him, you have him kvetching. He's kvetching. I always him. picture that encounter in Yiddish. That's yes, all I yes, yes, right. It's like, to, me it's, to me, it's Yiddish. You want to know what old way. is? You want to know what old is? I'll right. tell you what old is. You right. want to know how bad it is? Yeah. Right. I always <laughs> picture that. What's mach? What's mach? What's mach? What's mach? I mean, you know, what's his name in the book? I mean, in the book, I forget what's his name. Anyway, in Yiddish. No Jew ever answered the question, Vosmachtir, with, I'm fine, thanks for asking. <laughs> that right. never happened that's once. Right. Right. It was always, Vizolach Mazen. You know, there was never a simple, I'm fine, how are you? And, oh, pause for a second. I mean, Yemei Shnei Megurai Shleishamajona. Ma'at Veroyim or you, Yemei Shnei Chayai. Right. So it's Yiddish. He's speaking Yiddish and Hebrew. And here's the other thing. You turn the page, and he meets Ephraim and Menashe for the brachas. And after just describing his life as miserable, what does he say to his aniklach? Hamalach ha-goyel oisi b'kora. In other words, he turns to Pyro and says, my life is miserable. And then he turns to his aniklach and says, the malach who's helped me should help you. It sounds like a curse. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. No, but there's an, but I, 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 I you know, we both knew my late brother very well. And I'll tell you something he said about this. And he had a much longer, I'll just give you the short snippet at the end. And uh, my brother, Dr. Moshe, uh, uh, he said the following. It's part of a much longer share of the whole story, but it's very interesting. If you look at Yaakov's life, it's quite obvious that he's being punished his whole life for for lying to his father when he said, Right, that which he does to his father is done to him, meaning an older is switched for a younger, right, with Lay and Rachel. Just as he disrespected his, his father, uh, his children disrespect him in the story of Dina, in the story of Yosef, just like his behavior triggers an absence from his father's home for over 20 years, his son is, is, is missing from him for over 20 years, on and on and on, the examples of the, of the repercussions of that. And it's possible that his whole life he's haunted with the following question. Yeah, I've done wrong, but what was the alternative? And it's only when he meets Ephraim and Menashe that he realizes the alternative. Because what happens when Ephraim and Menashe are standing in front of him? Instead of going like this, with his hands outstretched straight, he crosses his arms. And at that moment, he realizes the same Ruach HaKadosh, which guided his hands, would have guided his father's hands to lift his hand off of the head of Esav and put it on Yaakov. That he should have just relied that there's no way HaKadosh Baruch was going to allow the brachas to be put on Esav. There's no way, just like the Ruch HaKadosh guided him to switch Ephraim and Menashe, it would have guided his father Yitzchak. So when he says, He's saying, now I understand what I did. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's a schuss to your your brother to hear that. Of course, it doesn't, you know, again, makes us makes you wonder 
despite the fact that it was the will of God and what should have happened, you still have to suffer even though you did the right thing, which is, right. which is again, the great no, no, paradox. No, but, but, again, but again, here's the point. What, did, what is the definition? I mean, it's a simple idea. What's the, what's the definition of what Yaakov and Rivka did wrong in the story of the brothers? It's the edge justifying the means, right? There are three compelling arguments, right? He deserved the bracha because of his moral character. There was a nevuah, he would get the brachas. He bought the brachas, right? There are three. So in other words, because he's the rightful recipient, he, he, he and Rivka decide you're allowed to lie in order to get it. That's called the ends justifying the means. And that's, anyway, Rivka is described strangely. At the beginning of that story is a chais lovan, as the sister of lovan, which is a genealogical description that is quite rare. Normally it's, you know, it's, it's just, you know, who your parents are. A chais lovan is strange because that's the same moral philosophy of Lavan when he switches Leah for Rachel, right? Like, like we, we don't do this by us. Ba'uns, Lavan also spoke Yiddish. Ba'uns Tutmendus, we don't do this by us. And by the way, Shulchan Aruch agrees with Lavan. Shulchan Aruch and Ebenezer says you're supposed to marry the older sister first. And, and he lies, in other words. Yeah, well, Lavan, you know, is, is the whole interaction between Yaakov and Lavan, in my mind, was a way for Yaakov to imbibe the Talmudic mindset. Lavan can prove everything he does is right. right. If you look at Lavan's words when he makes the deal about working for seven years, he never right. says that you're going to get her. Maybe I'll decide to give her to you, meaning that this is not really a Kenyan. This will be a Matana from my point. Halachically, the difference between a Kenyan and a Matana, when the Chalais occurs, those are the Asaitis of, 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 of Kenyanim that go through all Seder Nazikim. One of the things Yaakov gets finally, and that's why his sons say to Lovan, he took he's taken everything from you. Because Yaakov and Klau Yisrael has Yarshan to me, the Talmudic mind. I don't know what was going on in Yeshiva Shem Be'ever, but I think it was, it was the 20 years with Lovan the dealing with contracts, the dealing with uh, how deals change that allowed Jews to not just be savvy businessmen, but also to think and to understand how this world works and how to place upon it uh, the type of Talmudic mind that we did. And uh, to me, the Hatzloch of Talmud Bavli have, has to do with Lavan. So I'm all there with you in terms of Lavan and, and, and the fact that Look, Yitzchak said it's got to be that family, right? right. It's got to be that family. There's some, that Ruach HaKedish, as you'd say, uh, that, that, that was inherent in Yitzchak. God understood that it's not going to be from Eliezer's children. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be from that house. And that house, I think, does give us, you know, the, the Torah Shabbat that we are hated for. I mean, the Talmudic Jew, right? This was the, the, that's the part that, that's not the part, the the A.J. Heschel humanistic loving part that that, that people applaud. That's the part that is is, is the one that, you know, the real heroism, I think, is showed there. And it's always complex. It's always complex. And that's right. You know, one of the things, though, and I I love what your brother says, one of the things that I've been more sensitive to at the end of the parsha, you know, let's just say parenthetically, the end of the Megillus Esther, the end, like the end of Parshas Vayigash. All of that is like, I'm so exhausted. Like, are these the credits? It's like the Marvel movies. Like it's nine, 10 minutes of credit. And you're hoping there's going to be some sort of like, uh, some sort of like scene for one minute of 10 seconds that will somehow, you know, and you sit there and you wait. The end of Parshas Vayigash, 
first of all, you have all the, you have a genealogy and you have the names, but what's, I think people miss, and I like what you said, the first Ipsukim, but also Yosef's machinations here about figuring out who goes where, uh, how Yosef eventually becomes, and Paro, they end up taking away private property and ownership. Well, listen, if you look in the Rishonim, whether it's the Radak or others, you will see veiled and sometimes not so veiled criticism of Yosef's behavior. I think it was the Radak who compares it to Sancheirim. In other words, how he moves everyone off their property. That's right. Everyone becomes a serf. Power becomes the sole landowner. And and the Jews, his family, are fine because they've got Goshen. No, in other words. If you want to realize, and I know what you're going to say, and I'm going to copy you on this since this was my baby to run with, is that if you want to know why Shamos begins with antipathy to the Jews, it's because we knew what Yosef did. You Jews, you guys basically stole everything from us. You turned us into Avad. I think a fitting parallel is something we talked about once, I think, in a very different context, which is that when when the riots occur after Martin Luther King's assassination and Jewish businesses are targeted and the Jews are astonished because they were the ones who more than anyone else assisted the civil rights movement is because the Jews were understood to be the first line capitalists. In other words, it was the Jew in the, in the, in the urban areas who ran the liquor store, the dry cleaners and the jewelry store, and were sometimes the landlords, the property managers. And instead of blaming the guy sitting in the ivory tower bank, that's really controlling American capitalism, the wasp of the bank, they were talking about the Jews. And in this case, Paro becomes the land, you know, Paro, you know, everything, Yosef does, he does for Paro. In other words, Yosef is the frontline capitalist, right? Paro's the real guy, but the animosity is directed towards the Jew, who is the face of the wasp, in this case, Paro, the waspy capitalist. Which allows the ultimate betrayal to occur in, in say, for Shamos, right, where, exactly. where, where we were targeted as the enemy, right. and history could back that up. Right. It wasn't, and I think that's what the end uh, end of Parshas Vayikash. But I have to say something interesting. I mean, I, I've I've said I, I agree that you know, in other words, if you look for the roots of the animosity, you know, Shmos presents it simply that the Jews are different, right? Like you know, like Haman does later, and that's it. But if you want to look for the roots of it, you know, this is a place to look. But again, there is no intimation at all in Sefer in Parshas Shmos that there was a pre-existing animosity amongst the people. The Ramban goes even further. The Ramban in his naivete, and I can say that because he lived before the Holocaust, he goes so far I, I, uh, on the Pusik where he orders the... Uh, the in the, the beginning murder. the beginning of... Yeah. It couldn't have happened publicly. No leader could ever publicly order murder. Yes. Right? You know, and the Ramban didn't live in the most pleasant of times, but even he couldn't imagine, uh, uh, you know, a Hitler. And, um, and, and, and the Ramban says it must have been done in secret. It was a secret edict to, to go ahead and do this. Right. And the, the people never would have tolerated it. Okay. And the and the Ramban says the people believed the fiction that the government was still on their side and that right. the hooligans that were taking snatching their children were just some sort of lunatic fringe, but they weren't necessarily right. part right. And, and and, yeah, because yeah, he can't imagine the Ramban couldn't imagine, you know, a public policy of extermination. And yet we know, of course, it happened. But the point is that in that is implicit the idea that the, at least the Ramban, who's, you know, certainly the you know, we know, we know who the Ramban is, um, couldn't didn't 
Imagine I, I, I get it. I, I have to tell you, you know, both of us grew up as you know the, the generation after the Holocaust. I think I I probably heard either uh, I must have heard hundreds of drushes as I was growing up. How Safer Shmos parallels the Nazis and parallels the Russians. We we grew up in a period where all they had to do when they said Vayeru all we uh, it was a snap of the fingers for our teachers right, to course, show yeah. us the history of the Jews in, in Soviet Russia or the Jews in, in, in Nazi Germany, right. and that was clear. Or, and, or if you're, or, or for blacks in the South, that was the inspiration. The Exodus stories, the Exodus story was an inspiration for the Pilgrims. You know, right. King George. Right. But, but, I, but, but here's the thing: I think it was it was it was laced so heavily onto us that I think we might have lost some of the subtlety. You know, many, look, we know what Chumash does. Chumash, uh, the drash of Chumash, as, as, as Rav Aaron Salvechik uh, once, uh, and I were once, he once explained to me, that if you look at the Sifri Drush of the world, you're able to see what the mindset of uh, Oh, 100%. Of in, other words, are. in other words, when our, when the people who spoke to us connected Shmos to recent events in Europe, that is that is certainly not an anomaly. Right. All of Medrash is that. Yes. All of Medrash is that. I mean, it's, it's every everything is that. Right. I, I I agree. So, but I think what happens is the heavy dose of it sometimes blunts the subtleties of other points. I want to mention here. You know, we talk about these parshios being so rich and full, dramatic, uh, so full of incredible detail. Um, so many Chesidish Purim plays were yeah. made from this. I'm not talking about the Andrew Lloyd Webber, but in general, the, uh, the, the, right. Okay. Here's something that Jonathan Sachs, over show the Lord. Uh, I think it's, it's mo- from what I've read, it's one of his most original, incredible ideas. And uh, he builds it in a number of places in his, the real magisterial introduction to his, the, the Yom Kippur Machser and other places. Right. His basic idea is, is that the purpose of Sefer Bracious comes to the idea that man is capable of forgiving his brother. Right. That really, okay. wait, 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 let me just make the point. I just, and you know it, of course, but one of the things that, that bothers all of us, why the slowdown? Why does, till you get to Parshas Vayeshev, it's breakneck speed. It's sort of like the montage sequences of movies. Here's a couple of minutes here, a couple of minutes there. And all of a sudden, Parshas Vayeshev, the credits are finished, the montage is over. All of a sudden, it becomes, it moves at a um, iceberg pace, right? It's just like, slow, right? glacial pace. Here's what's going on. And now, right, all of a sudden, we get conversations. Why is this so crucial? Why is the Torah zeroing in on this? And part of it is because for us to understand that the terrible sin of hatred, the terrible betrayal of what Yehuda does, that Yehuda has to become the first Balchuva. Right. And that, that Yehuda in Parshas Vayigash, with his dramatic uh, speech and his willingness to give up himself in, in place of Binyamin, that Yehuda has now done tshuva. He's, okay, the, first, no, wait, wait, he's the first person. Right, and, okay. and, and not only that, Despite what the Medrash says at the end of Parshas Vayechi and others, he believes Sachs wants us to accept that Yosef's ability to forgive means that if man can forgive, God, here's the point, can get involved with humanity. 
Once man shows the capacity to be able to show forgiveness and understanding that it isn't about you hurt me, I've got to hurt you, which was basically the theme of war. It was the theme of all interpersonal relationships. We created, Jonathan Sachs says, in this story, in Vayigash and Yosef's reaction, that it wasn't you, it was God, I, 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 I kiss you, I, uh, I, I forgive you, man now rises to a sublime level that means God in Shemos can now start being connected to the planet in a real way. This was Jonathan Sachs' idea. Okay, but again, a little bit. The fundamental question Sachs is asking, or, or trying to answer, I should say, is why did Yosef go through all those machinations? First with Shimon and then with Binyamin. Why does he go through the whole thing? So you, you look at summary Shana, they'll tell you by Yisko, he remembers the dreams. It's all about choreographing everything so the dreams come true, which is not the most satisfying of answers. Like, who, what would have happened if the dreams not come true? Who cares? The other answer is he was simply punishing his brothers, right? That's all he was punishing his brothers. There's, some people say it had to do with he just wanted to see Binyamin. All right. But the, fun, the real answer is, as Rabbi Sachs and others have said, is that Yosef is organizing everything so that Yo, so that the brothers can go through the Rambam's stages of tshuva. There's chagata, which is early on in the story, right? There is, and, and then, you know, there, there's an acceptance, Kabbalah Asid, and then, you know, more importantly, most importantly is, as the Rambam says, you're tshuva gemulis, you're in the same situation again, and you behave differently, right? You behave differently, right? A the the favorite son of Yaakov, in, in meaning Benjamin at this point, is at risk. And what are you going to do? Are you going to leave him in the pit? Or are you going to save him? And, the, and Yehuda, representing the brothers, I believe, you know, saves him. So this tshuva, so he, he effectuates tshuva. But what Rabbi, what Rabbi Sachs points out, and others point out, is that it's not just the brothers who do tshuva, is Yosef has remarkably evolved. Remember, and again, you have to also remember the other subtext to all of this is why didn't Yosef do anything to reunite with his father beforehand? That's a really important question. And the other important question, or interesting question, at least, I don't know if it's important, is did Yaakov ever really know what happened? Right? And there's evidence on both sides of that question. The, um, the point is, Yosef immediately forgives. You know, I think maybe it was Sachs who said this, actually. Where he talks about reinterpreting your past, you know, he says, you know, that um, uh, you, you, you know he he sees the past not as a story of of brothers assaulting him, but a story of God putting him in the right place for the right time in order to effectuate salvation and rescue. So that he reinterprets his past, and that's how he forgives. The question is, this is very interesting. Why doesn't Yosef do anything? And and I, and I think there's a hint in the story. Remember, there's that crazy, you know, medrash that Rashi cites that makes no sense at all. That all of a sudden, an, an agola becomes an egla rufa. I mean, what is that, right? An agola is not an egla, right? It's just not. And and what happens? He sends he sends the wagons. Yaakov sees the the agolas and he remembers. Oh, they were learning Gemara Saita, right? They were learning about egla rufa. What is that? It's, it's like a medrash plea almost. What is that? And the point here is that in the story of Egla Rufa, what is, what's Egla Rufa? There's a victim outside a city. 
And who has to take a Christ responsibility is the elders of the city. What Yosef, what the Medrash is, 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 is implying is the following, is that Yosef is sending a signal in one form or another that to Yaakov, either don't punish my brothers for what they did because Yaakov, you're Zikne Yail. You are ultimately responsible. I was the, I was the Cholol. I was the victim outside a city. And the Zikanim, right? The elders, meaning you, Yaakov, have to take responsibility. Now, whether that whether Yosef is trying to say take responsibility because you favored me and therefore triggered the jealousy and hatred, or because you sent me down to my brothers in a vulnerable position, he's blaming his father, which is which you accept this idea could possibly explain why Yosef never sought reunification, because in fact he blamed his father for all of this. And remember, that, and there's a malbum that says the following. That when Yaakov is first brought the bloodied cloak, what does is, what is, what is Yaakov do? He rises, he tears his garment, and he puts on a sackcloth. And uh, right away, that's tshuva. So the Malbuk goes on to say that's repentance for having put him in a vulnerable position by sending him. Right? And others talk about how did he go with an escort? Right, that's because that's the the Yerushalmi incite yeah. about we didn't escort him. Right, and but he's also could be you know if it's if the sack is tshuva, maybe it's for the for triggering that entire relationship of jealousy and rancor between the brothers by so flamboyantly favoring Yosef. But and also let's keep something else in mind: is that is that maybe I'm sorry to talk so much. Maybe Yosef believes that Yaakov... You're not sorry. You're not sorry, you're tired. Don't give me that below. No, I just want one, one further point. There's a reason why you're emeritus, Rex. In other words, Yosef, Yosef may be, in fact, under the impression that Yaakov is mad at him. In other words, that because he has these dreams, and Yaakov yells at Yosef, Yaakov yells at Yosef for the dreams. Let's remember that people forget that. He yells at him. I'm going to come with your mother, right? He yells at him. And remember, Yosef comes from a family where in every generation, a brother is thrown out. Yishmael is thrown out. Esav is thrown out. Maybe he thinks he's the Yishmael slash Esav of his generation. Maybe that's why he doesn't reach out. And and, and I'll tell you, there's there's a proof to what I'm telling you. What triggers Yosef's revelation that he is, in fact, their brother? So one interpretation is the fact that they demonstrated concern for Biyamin. The other part of it might be that when he talks about, when Yehuda so, so dramatically describes the pain of their father of losing a child, that Yosef realizes his father's not mad at him. He's been broken since I'm gone. Maybe that's what triggers Yosef's revelation is that he realizes his father isn't angry at him, right? And that's why he then reveals himself, and which again allows for the reunification. Maybe Yosef harbored a fear of, of you know, being being distanced by the father, and therefore only when Yehuda says, "Our father's brokenhearted over Yosef," can you imagine what will happen if Benjamin's gone? That's when he does this. Can you pause for a second? I got to do something. The medrash that you like, obviously the medrashim that, which is what all rabbis do. The medrashim actually asks these questions. The first one is, "Vayevoso, lamayevoso? Why? How could he love him and show greater love than the other brothers? Vayishvuchuoso, 
Lamasholchu also, like the Medrash asks right. these questions. The Medrash itself is, right. is, 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 is sensitive to this. And the Medrash gives an interesting answer in both cases. Vayisnu also, Lamasanu also. If you take a look consistently in Medrash Rabbah, they are, are, are wondering why these human behaviors, which we understand on, on, on a real level, because we all feel it ourselves, how is it possible that these great people that we are supposed to extol and name our children after are exhibit this type of flawed behavior? The answer the Medrashim say, and this is an interesting answer, is that, Me'emek Chevron? Halo Chevron Bahar Hoyo. There's right. Hebron wasn't uh, in, in a valley. Oh, me eight samuka me oisir shoyer nitman bechevron. That there's a there's an idea that God has behind this, and 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 what that means is is that God, that despite and you are correct, the human feeling of jealousy, the sense of maybe I'm hated, the sense of Shimon and Levi's hatred and and Yehuda's qualms, they're all real. But at the same time that they're real, Chazal want us to see that God works through us in order sure. to accomplish incredible things. One of the things, and you're correct, what, what is it that happens that you, when you understand the world? You see how, as you say, as Jonathan Sachs and others say, God has worked through us. But that is a, a very humbling experience. It's so, it's so humbling to actually be, to realize that you are the pawn of God to achieve something great. Which is, of course, what Yosef says. Um, does that mean that what went on here was God pulling our strings tighter than than He usually does in order to get this thing achieved? That's sort of what Chazal is saying, and that, to me, is a frightening idea. The idea that you're not in control is something that that, 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 again, that, that you look at every event in Chumash on two layer, levels, at least two. One is that these things had to have happened. Adamarishan had to be thrown out of Gan Eden. It doesn't stop us from analyzing Ched Adamarishan. We know that the Jewish people had to be slaves. That doesn't stop us from analyzing how it happened. Right? They had to be free. Right. It doesn't but, stop right, us from analyzing right. Carol. But but unlike those Chatoyim of, of Adam, which is so vague, these Chatoyim are so real to us. Every single one of us, including I remember when you know when I was is, is that we all relate to it, and yet the Medrash tells us this all might be God. This Medrash is telling us it might all, and Yosef says that as well. In fact, I want to even suggest something else. One of the strangest Medrashim, as you know, is Yosef basically bearing his, his, his genitalia to the brothers, right? And he, he says, don't you see? I'm Gimalt, right? And of course, the Mizrahi asks, based on uh, this week's Parsha, that Yosef had issued a decree that all the Mitzrim should be gemalt. That was part of the thing, right? So being circumcised wasn't exactly... Yeah, but, he was, but he was born long before the decree, whatever. No, Listen, no, no. The people had to get circumcised. All right, but he, so, it, it, it looked like an old wound. It looked like an old wound. <laughs> to me, the answer is something a little more, less graphic and more, uh, more of an idea. And the idea of the brismila is itself something that we put into our children at an early age, an idea that even before they come to recognition of what they want and who they are, there is the will of God that, in a sense, moves them. And the, the lesson of Brismila is really the lesson of our life in many ways. It's, right. the, it's the mitzvah, that it's the child's mitzvah, but the child, it's not just because we want to spare the child pain. One last pushback for you. 
you, 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 the, the heart of your question is actually, it's interesting that Sir Walter Scott, uh, the author of, uh, of 19, in the 19th century or uh, of, of books like Ivanhoe and other things, wrote a, a, a very strong essay about Genesis. And he talks about that, that the, 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 the feeling that we find in Vayigash of, of, of Yehuda's love and he says, where was their concern for, where was Yosef's concern for his father? The question has been, is echoed throughout anyone who takes this book seriously. One of the answers that's given by the, the, the Rishonim is that as much as this seems to be the easy way, there would have been ramifications, not just because I need to fulfill the dream. The, as much as we think the easy way out works, which is, okay, it's over. The, if Yaakov discovers it before the, the children, before the sons, right, right. before the sons have, have really owned up and done their tshuva, there's going to be recriminations. No, no, so that's part of the answer why Yosef doesn't... doesn't right, I understand. But the answer that you were stressing was that Yosef, in a way, wants Yaakov to be punished. Oh, I think it's a possibility. I, I, right. I don't know. Right. So I want to just put that on the table for our listeners as well. 100%. That, that part, okay. of it, part of it is because many of us, sometimes, when we find, and you as a rabbi know this. Okay, let's bring the parties together. Look, we found out that really what the, what the, what the couple is fighting about is really not true. Okay, call them in. Wait. Sometimes waiting is, is better because even though it would seem it's over, I see you, I know you, I'm not dead. The recriminations against the brothers no, no, would have been no so, so right. and, and, and I hear Okay, but again, we don't know. Okay, if Yaakov knew about the Mechira, why does he not mention it in the Brachas? He mentions every other crime these the, his children have committed, never mentions this. Uh, On the other uh, hand, how could the brothers have believed that their lie to Yosef after the burial? would be believable unless Yosef knew or thought that Yaakov knew. In other words, when they say, you know, your father commanded us, blah, blah, blah. I, look, you, if you want to get into Parshonis, it's possible that Yosef, Rainbow, I, I, we, we've been talking about the beauty of the story. Part of what Vayechi has, of course, at the end is incredible poetry. The poetic ending before the Parsha that you're talking about, where, the, where, where they make up a lie to Yosef. But the brothers... Uh, brachas that Yaakov gives. They are so, uh, the, the words come out of Yaakov unlike any words that have been uttered by any one of the others up until now. All of a sudden, they are in a, they're in a Shakespeare play, right? It's like in a musical when people start singing all of a sudden, right? Where it's like, you know, all of a sudden, the jets and the sharks are talking about beating each other up, and then they start going into a dance ballet. That is what happens in Parsha's Vayechi. Now, the words unlike Sondheim's lyrics or whatever it was uh, to, to, to the Jets and the Sharks, these lyrics are a little bit obscure. And therefore, when Yehuda is told, Miteref bini Alisa, that could be meaning to say, hmm, Miteref bini, you were the one that I right. actually thought perhaps had ripped and done something against my child. So I think there are illusions if you read All into right, the no, lyrics. No, listen, it's clear. It's clear. I mean, I think it's clear that, number one, the brothers are lying. There's no question. When they say, your father commanded us that you shouldn't take revenge on us, which is nonsensical because if you want someone not to take revenge, you don't talk to the potential victims, you talk to the potential perpetrator. So it's obviously bizarre. 
But again, for the brothers to think that Yosef would believe that lie, the brothers had to believe that Yaakov knew the story. So, which begs the question, how do you answer my my query, which was, if he knew about it, why doesn't he ever mention it like he mentions Shechem and Ruvain? Why doesn't he ever mention the brachas? And the answer to that question is, possibly going back to something we talked about earlier, which is that Yaakov felt ultimately he was the one responsible for what happened. So that, that that's that's potentially... Yeah, end. or what we can see is something which I think many, uh, many uh, psychologists know. There's a certain... Sometimes the elephant in the room doesn't need to be talked about. And, okay. And actually bringing it out is a way of stoking wounds that are that are that can continue to be fresh look when Yaakov discovers it he might have sensed it in the beginning something is going on he might have known it for sure by the time he arrives whether sometimes there's family secrets that are out there that That you don't talk about that we don't talk even though we know it's true and we don't like respond to them and I think all of this is really part of why we see our family in this family much more than we've seen it any other time that and and, also, it, it is held up as the paradigm of the sins when Jews betray Jews. I mean, that's the Asari Rugamachas. That's the whole Drushim about, you know, how the Asari Rugamachas are the punishment for the Ten Brothers selling of, of Yosef. And I should also say, considering the time that we're recording this, others, right? We know that we, we continue to misunderstand each other. We continue to see one part of each other over the other. We we label people as Baal Chalimais and, and 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 in many ways you're right, Yosef, even our victims and the people who who sometimes they also harbor things for too long. I mean again, the story is so rich and it lives with us so totally and completely that I, I want to end this very interesting conversation with a joke. A Khsidish guy told me a couple of weeks ago about Mikhiris Yosef. Related to Mikhiris Yosef. Uh, Yosef has a dream where his, uh, you know, the sun and the moon, all that. And uh, the question is, where's Dina? Why doesn't Dina bow down? Where's Dina? So he says, you know, according to Chazal, Dina ends up being Yosef's mother-in-law, right? So the guy said to me, he's very passionate. Even in your dreams, your mother-in-law doesn't bow down to you. <laughs> well, again, I, 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 I think... Your your point is is well made, and I think part of it is 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 part of male toxicity, and the inability sometimes of men to really give out their feelings and and really come to terms. You're right. In many ways, the mothers who are unseen in the story are are are, are ways the 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 sign of strength. Look, what is Jacob's final words? Right, his final words are about his wife. His final words are about where. Uh, the strength and the uh, what Leah was able to be sober, right. and, and I think you know, it, although it's definitely a man-oriented story, I think that women can look at the story as well and say, you know, look, you know, this is this is the issue that we're always cleaning up. <laughs> we're always cleaning up after you guys, and uh, right. All, All right. right, we shall see you, my friends. Take care. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.